let's get engaged. I've got a message for you. And as we get into this day, it's going to sound a little weird at first, but I've entitled this message, Six Feet Apart, Six Feet Under, or Six Feet Under. Now, um, the corona pandemic that we are amidst today has created a global conversation. And from that conversation, we have adopted a language or even certain terms that have become everyday vocabulary for us. And there's one measurement that you all are privy to, you all are practicing, and that is this idea of staying six feet apart. And this distance was dictated to us or, you know, guidelines given to us by the Center for Disease Control, this social distancing. And nations around the world are enforcing this idea of staying six feet apart. Now, why six feet all of you know this, but just, just bear with me as I kind of make a point of contrast. When someone coughs, someone sneezes, small, sometimes um, unseeable drops of liquid are sprayed out. And if you stand too close or if you're too near somebody, you can breathe those things in. And the droplets that come out of somebody who might be infected can in turn affect you. It could happen. It's, it's unseen. It's uncertain, but it could happen. And six feet is supposedly the appropriate distance to keep that from happening or to keep you out of that reach. Now, what if it's just five feet? Well, um, science tells us if you're trying to protect yourself properly that somewhere between three feet and six feet is what's known as the breathing zone, okay? And this means that the, the air that I exhale, you could easily inhale inside that breathing zone, that same air. And so if someone has a virus in that breathing zone, you can pick it up. So, as a result of this reality that we all know and we're all educated on now, what I wanted to make a point was if, if a result of this information, the entire world is changing its behavior because of fear of exposure and walking and talking, a lifestyle of walking and talking six feet apart because of that, because of fear exposure to that, the whole world has changed its behavior. Now, here's my question, all right, as I kind of open this message up today. What struck me, what got me thinking as I'm down in my study, and this is a very fresh message. If fear of an uncertain and unseen reality can shift the world's behavior, I don't want to get this virus, and so I'm going to practice this, what could faith in an unseen but certain reality do? Let me repeat that to you. If fear of an uncertain, unseen reality could change the world's behavior, what should or what could faith in an unseen but certain reality do? What should it do? In other words, I think God would want to speak to us through his word to get us to see and use this illustration that if we're more concerned about being six feet apart to extend our lives a little bit further to a certain point in time, only to be buried one day six feet under and miss maybe the most important message, the most important perspective, or maybe even miss eternity altogether. There's this huge contrast that I want to make between being six feet apart so, but not missing that there's a bigger message. We, won't, we don't want to just be buried six feet under. Which six feet should be our focus? Should, should six feet apart change our behavior more or should a concern about being just buried six feet under and it's over be our concern the phrase six feet under just means 
you know, dead and buried. Uh, it's synonymous with things like, you know, uh, pushing up the daisies or, or pointing your toe, one's toes up. It's considered normal and legal to be buried six feet under the grave when you die. And so that's where I kind of make these contrasts. But I want to, a little bit further out, for those of you who are called this your home and you're part of this spiritual family, I want to set up a series of sermons. And I have some things that I want to talk to you about as your pastor that I feel the Lord's directing me to talk about. And it's surrounding a sequence of events that won't be appreciated if you don't change your focus during this crisis. Crisis makes us focus. The question is, what are we focusing on? And so I want to change your focus while still practicing what has been dictated to us or, or, or guidelines we've been given. I want to change your focus from worry about being six feet apart in order to live to a certain point, um, then only to be buried six feet under and miss the big point. Okay, so if life is all about live and, and let die and, and just live down here and, and then be done and there's nothing further beyond that, your perspective is, I think you're missing something. Your perspective up here, up there, I should, I should say, should transform your life down here. And I think we need a different perspective more than we need all of our problems solved. And I want to help you make a radical shift of expectation that should in turn make a radical shift in your behavior. Um, let me say this kind of a side note. To the extent that you're currently doing okay, some of you are doing okay, you're doing better. Uh, when I say better, I mean you're not necessarily making more money or, or building or, or blowing things up right now and growing like crazy, but personally, you feel like you're doing better because you're home and there's some things that are going on. If, if that's happening, because crisis can do that to you, and it's born out of fear, or it's born out of self-preservation, or it's born, worse yet, even out of convenience because you're home and there's no choice, I just want to tell you something. That won't sustain you because things are going to get better. I don't understand what you're talking about, Pastor. I just want to say that amidst the crisis, I want to help you see something now that you would in turn maintain later for the coming days when things get better because things are going to get better. But there's a tendency for us to forget the lessons that we're learning or even see the lessons in the first place that we should be learning amidst the crisis. And if we don't grab hold of something above and bring it down here, then something down here is going to grab hold of us here and it's going to keep us from what's to come and being a part of what's to come. This is kind of big, but there's a prophetic sequence that we are amidst right now. We are in the early phases of God's divine plan. Things are not falling apart, as I've said. They're falling into place. And so, Pastor, are you saying we're in the end times right now? I, I, I'm not, are we in the tribulation right now? No, we're not in the tribulation. I do think we're in the end times, though. I think we're in, the, um, we're in kind of the early travail of uh, what's sometimes referred to as like the age of sorrows in Scripture. In fact, the reason I know we're not in the, in the tribulation, as some people could fear, and a lot of messagings out there on that kind of stuff, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, right around verse 3, it basically says this, that the people in the world will be saying things like peace and safety and security. In other words, things are going to be good. Things are going to, they're going to be good. And in the middle of that, the Bible says disaster will come or the Lord will return like a thief in the night. So you need to know things aren't good right now, 
Think people are not saying peace and safety. So he's not coming right now, okay? He's not coming right now. But he is coming back, and he's coming back for his church. That's, that's, that's a, a lead pipe cinch, and we're going to be talking about that in the coming weeks. We're going to talk about the rapture and the return of Christ. And so what I want you to see, though, is that when you get this perspective right, when you get an eternal perspective right, there's a radical shift in expectation, which should, if we see it right, create a radical shift in behavior. So here's your big idea. If you're taking notes, and I know you're all engaged, and I know you all know uh, history, uh, that note-takers are history makers, and so I want to encourage you to write some things down. The greater your expectation of heaven, the better your life will be on earth. I'll, I'll flip it. The lower your expectation of heaven, the worse things will be here on earth. God has provided a secret to life here by a perspective of life hereafter. And a shorter version would be like this. Expectations affect behavior. Expectations affect behavior. Now, 2 Peter, Peter's second letter to the church, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 14. I'm going to do what they call exegete this. I'm going to unpack this entire chapter for you. And we'll go verse by verse. So we never really do that very often. A lot of times people like that. But Peter tries to teach us something in 2 Peter chapter 3. To live life here and maximize it, we have to have an eternal mindset. And so many of us get defeated in this time zone we're in, this season that we're in, because we have a poor expectation of eternity. But by the Holy Spirit, I pray he will translate, transmit, transfer to you uh, a bigger view of heaven and a smaller view of you in this world. Because your problem, my problem, is we've made life bigger and heaven smaller. I don't know how to say this, but like, you know, when, when divorce, which is super high, and when uh, the top reason that divorces break down is communication, and they have a communication problem, um, most people that have had successful marriages, 50, 60, 70 years, statistically have had more problems than people who've been divorced. So the assumption that a person who's getting divorced had bigger problems than you is a faulty assumption. The problem isn't the problem. The person's ability to handle the problem is the problem. And so... Peter is providing for us, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a way to make your problems smaller and make heaven bigger is the secret sauce to that. And I hope that makes sense as we go forward. So we all kind of throw our, our, our marbles into this time basket instead of, and we miss this eternal basket, as it were. We focus on history, not on heaven. We, we can reverse and shift the focus, and it can transform our lives. So Peter gives us two at minimum, two principles uh, that change our view in this text. Look, look at me at the first one, and write this down if you're taking notes. We have to learn, in order to overcome, we must learn to live in the light, the light of God's word. We have to let it shine on our situation. In verse 1, Peter says this, this is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them, I've tried to stimulate you to wholesome thinking and refresh your memory, remind you of some things I've said to you before. I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago and what the Lord our Savior commanded through his apostles. Verse 3, 
more importantly, or most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, of which I believe we are part of, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say to the believers, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? In other words, you've been talking about this for a long time. He's going to rescue you. He's going to turn all this around. From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. So the mockers, the scoffers, they're going to come, and the Scripture says they're going to follow after their own desires, and they're going to raise a challenge to us as believers and say, where is your God? Where's Jesus? Where's this God that's supposedly going to rescue things and turn everything around? We'll see about that. One of the reasons that they're going to scoff, they're going to mock, and they're going to say that, come, that sort of thing is because they they want to be freed up from the responsibility and accountability of heaven. They want to be locked up into today so they can do whatever they want and fulfill their own desires. In other words, if I can get God off my mind, then I don't have to be concerned about the then because I want to live in the now. And so the closer for us as believers that... Um, the closer heaven becomes to us as believers, the more concerned I'll be about my investments, my decisions, um, you know, my choices, my priorities. The further I can push it off, the less I have to worry about those things. Are you following me out there, everybody? And so the enemy works to get this world bigger and bigger and bigger and let the world to come become smaller and smaller and smaller, and I'm not thinking of the then, I'm thinking of the now, and I'm worried about, I'm worried about the now sometimes, and, and I wonder what I can do about it, and Paul, excuse me, Peter's trying to change our perspective. So they follow after their own lust, they follow after their own desires, which is I want to do what I want to do, and that is a form of, uh, it's a big word, but deism. Deism is when people want to do what they want to do, they follow their own, like their God, their, their will. We do enough to cover our bases. We do enough to cover our back. We have a just-in-case kind of theology in our life. And then Peter takes it up a notch and speaks about this, and he says, they, these people that do this, deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago, look at this, by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. So he's saying to the people here, he's saying, how quickly we forget, talking to believers, how quickly we forget that he created everything uh, currently that you are enjoying and partake of. He's saying you forgot that. Uh, creation itself shows that the reality we now experience came from a different reality first. Things were sourced in this reality from another reality. And then he says... They willingly reject that. And why? Because they don't want interference, uh, these people that he's talking to, in their life's decisions. Because if we take God seriously, we're going to have to do something about what he says. And we can't do what we want. This is a caution from Peter to these people that also applies to us. So it's easier to keep God vague. It's easier to deny him altogether why? So we don't have to be accountable to him. So he says, and this is a strong message. I just want you to know that. It's going to get stronger as we go. He says, this, in light of God's word, is reflected through creation. And then he says it's reflected through, big word, judgment. Okay? So he says, I'm revealing myself to create through creation, which you forgot about and you deliberately deny and forget. And then he says, it's also reflected in judgment. So I want you to see this. 
And this should change your perspective if you see through creation and you see through judgment. Verse 6, he says, Then God used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. I think you guys know what that was and who that was. We'll come back to that. And by the same word that he did that, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire, and they are being kept for the day, which is coming, of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. So the world at that time was destroyed back then by a flood, and that's the time of Noah. Now, just you guys know the story of Noah, and if we rehearse these ridiculous, really crazy-sounding instructions that God gives Noah. God tells Noah, I want you to build an ark. I want you to do it on dry land. Uh, it's going to rain. And by the way, up to that point, it had never rained. What? Yeah, no, it had never rained. Before the time of Noah, the earth was watered from beneath. The waters in the heavens were held in a canopy above the earth, but it had never rained up to that point. And so these people at that time in this story had never seen rain. And so God's word comes to Noah about a subject that was not yet his experience. Just sidebar, side note, many things will come from God that will contradict your experience. Are you prepared to obey him anyway? So Noah, you're going to have to build a boat. You're going to have to do it on dry land. You're going to look like a fool because I've told you that's it. And Noah says, okay. Noah obeys God, which is amazing. Noah, according to Scripture, was a preacher of righteousness. And so uh, during the day, he would build the ark, and at night, he would preach the word of God, and he would go around, he'd preach a sermon. And the sermon was a very short sermon. Here's the sermon. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. You know, it's like I can hear purple rain in my head right now. He didn't have an electric guitar, and he didn't look like, you know, whatever. He didn't look like Prince, but he's going around just telling everybody it's going to rain. That was his sermon every night. You know, you need to, you need to do what I tell you to do. And he preached that sermon for 120 years and they never listened. That's incredible. I know it sounds crazy what God told him to do, but he did it and he did it for 120 years. Now, why? Because he, he, he had a perspective in light of what God said. So eternal perspective says God's word's true even though I don't see it happening right now. God's word is true even though I don't see it happening right now. God is going to challenge you as a Christ follower and as a believer to trust his word about what is to come and keep your eye on what is to come, believing what he said, believing what he said. That has more meaning than you realize in some cases right now. So Noah lived a different kind of life because he was looking through a different kind of world through the lens of the word of God. Number two, write this down. Um, in order to have this eternal mindset and not end up just six feet under, we're to live in light of God's perspective. We're to live in light of God's perspective. Verse 8, here's what it says. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Now, some of you heard this verse before, but why is it like that? Well, man sees time. Man lives linearly. It, we see time through a linear lens. We see 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. From this point to that point, we move from seconds to minutes to hours to days to months to years. Uh, that's kind of, we go from A to Z. That's our system of measurement and how we kind of do time. But God does not operate 
linearly. He transcends time. He's eternal. We live in the what was, what is, what shall be, yesterday, today, forever, all of that, because we live in time. God doesn't live like that. He lives outside of time. He exists only, this is crazy, in the present. He exists only in the present. And so he can communicate to us in our time, but he doesn't live in that time. And he wants us to see life through his time frame. And so, for example, when uh, God, when Moses went to God, he basically said, hey, God, uh, when I go to your people, who am I to say sent me? And God responds and says, tell them I am that I am sent you. He, he uses a personal pronoun in the present tense. And he basically says, I'm, first of all, I'm a personal God, but I'm a God who is, was, and shall be. I, I will live forever. I have lived forever. I, better yet, I'm in the now. I'm an in the now God. God only knows the now. And so it's hard to conceive because we're so locked into time. So God is trying to help us in this text to see one day is as or like a thousand years. A thousand years is like or is as one day. Translation, don't use your watch to, uh, don't, use, don't, don't use your watch to measure God's timetable, okay? He said it's like. In other words, it's outside of your scope of operation. It's outside of your understanding. Uh, you know, it's not your thoughts. It's not your ways. Another translation is just don't use your watch to measure God's time, okay? So, but now that's important. So hang with me now. So God wants you and me to live from a different vantage point, from, from here to here. No, from here to here, okay? Not from a temporal, not from, yeah, that time frame, but an eternal time frame. He wants you, it's like driving in a car, but you're thinking about that airplane up there. You have a different view. You, you're, you're, you're thinking of heaven while you're maneuvering on earth or in history. And he gets even deeper. And he says in verse 9, he says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. What's his promise? Of his return. As some people think, where he's going to take us back. No, he's being patient. He's not slow. He's patient. Who is he patient for? It says, for your sake. By the way, remember, he's writing his beloved here. He's writing to Christians. And so he says, God is not slow in keeping his promise. He's saying, God is not slow, but you're, I'm holding him up. See, he's... He's not slow. He's patient. He's saying, I'm not slow. I'm waiting for you. Uh, You're holding me up. God is slow because he's waiting on us. He's slow because we're not doing it his way. He's slow because we're not living and seeing things through his lens. He's literally saying, while you do not affect what I'm going to do, you do affect the timing of what I'm going to do, though. In fact, examples. Uh, Israel's coming out the grand exodus, uh, you know, that we speak of out of Egypt. And God makes a promise. He says, I'm going to take you into a land filled with milk and honey. And it's a good land and it's all yours. Go get it. And it's a 35-day journey that took 40 years. took 40 years. God never changed his plan, but man affected the duration or the completion of that plan. It took longer because man left God out of time. Another example, Abraham and Sarah. They 
had to wait 25 years for the promise to be fulfilled for them to have a child. Because they introduced the flesh and not faith, it took longer. It didn't change God's plan. It didn't change what God said. It changed when it, in fact, happened. So I believe God is waiting for us that, that in regard to timing as it connects to his promises. So some of us are waiting for things for decades You've been waiting and waiting and waiting on things for decades because we are not walking in faith. We are not walking with his perspective on things. God, you know, I've been waiting for a God like you to come. Like, we've been waiting for God to come into our life, but he has been waiting on you. And then in verse 9, second half, it says, he doesn't, want, he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. So he brings in evangelism into this into this sequence, into this story. He says, in other words, he's saying, stop praying for somebody to be, to be saved that you won't take the time to witness to. He's saying, like, this is, this is how I want you to see things. When you have this vantage point, this focus, it's going to affect your behavior here because I don't want anyone to be separated from me. I don't want anyone to be destroyed. I don't want everyone to come to the knowledge of God. So what he's saying is we have a part to play in the timing of God's promise fulfilled where he comes and he takes us out of this crazy nuts world. So many say, well, I'm trusting God. I'm, I'm just waiting on God. Well, God's waiting on you. God's waiting on you. He is not slow concerning his promises, but you can slow him down concerning the timing. Now, um, God always tells us to do things sometimes first before he does what he does. So he, you can see in the word over and over and over again, he wants obedience of faith before he moves. Now move on to verse 10. It says, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. He introduces you and me to a, a new term. This new term is the kind of the uncreation. You know, we know about creation, the beginning, you know, Genesis 1. We, some of us know about what it speaks of in Revelation where there's going to be the recreation, a new heaven, a new earth. We'll live with him forever. He's going to restore all this crazy nuts. But, he, but now he introduces this uncreation. Watch this. In verse 11, it says, Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you live? So he gives us his perspective again. Peter's trying to say, I'm giving you a perspective, an eternal perspective that you so desperately need. He says, since all these things on the earth that you're here with now, why are you treating them like they won't be destroyed? In other words, he's saying the new car that you have, it's going to go away. It's going to be destroyed. The house that you have right now, it's going to melt away. Wall Street, it's all going to burn. The things that men hold in high regard and hold on to so, so tightly, it's all going to come to nothing. Don't treat those things so highly. You don't lose your eternal perspective. History has, has trumped eternity for us, and he's warning us. We make idols of things that are going to burn up and just be gone. And I know this is heavy, but this is true. This is what the Bible says. Read it for yourself. We can have those things. We need those things. That's okay. He's just saying, hey, make sure you place them in the right perspective. Put them in the right view. Or as uh, Larry Stockstill used to say, hold on to life loosely, like a loose garment. Don't hold on to it too tightly. Some of us, our problems are so big because we're holding on to things so, so tightly. Listen. This is what the Bible says. It's all going to go away. 
So what am I supposed to do, Pastor? You know, how am I, what am I supposed to think? Okay, here, here's what you do. It says this in verse 11. Three times uh, Peter says something. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of heavens by fire and the elements will melt in heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So notice the word that he uses three times over and over again. He's trying to shift your look. He's basically saying, don't focus on where you live. Focus on where you look. Don't focus on where you live. Focus on where you look. We can adjust where we look, and that's going to affect how we live. He's asking us to look at this life from the life to come. When we make the life to come bigger and the life we are now in smaller, we will live better in this life because we're looking to the next life. So write this down. When you look or where you look will determine how you live. Where you look will determine how you live. Three times he says that in the scriptures. Verse 13 again. We are looking for a new heaven and a new earth. Then, then, then look what happens here. Because of that, back to verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So to hasten something is to speed it up. If we have an eternal perspective as our priority, as we're living in the now, then while, while God is still in fixed time, we have different speeds of movement, and our speed of movement affects the results, is what he's saying. You and I can hasten the day, it, it, and, and we can speed things up. Sometimes we, we want to speed things up real bad, and some things we want to slow things down a lot, too. Remember when you were a teenager, you're like 13 years old, and you're like, I can't wait to be 18, because then I'll be an adult. I can't wait to be 21, because then I can, whatever, I can drink, you know, whatever those things were that you were preoccupied with. We couldn't wait. Now that we're older, now that we're older, we're like, th- th- things, it was moving so slow then, and now it's moving so <laughs> stinking fast. We're like, slow down. It was just January 1. Now it's December 31st. Like, you don't want to speed things up. You want things to slow down. What happened? Did the clock change? No. Your relationship to the clock changed. Your perspective changed. And so he says, we can hasten the day of the Lord by our movement, by our focus. As I conclude, it's like this. I've said often that life is not a dress rehearsal. It's the real show. I want to flip that today. Life can be like a dress rehearsal in this respect. Life is like a dress rehearsal preparing for a big show or for a special day or for a big event. The dress rehearsal is always needed before a big day or a big event. The dress rehearsal always has the show in mind. It's not the show in the dress rehearsal, but it's preparation for the show. The dress rehearsal is where we do our part, we prepare our parts, you, you, you make some mistakes and you forget some lines, but you always keep looking forward to that day. You can't wait for that day. You can't, you're anticipating that day 
and, and it affects the next rehearsal, the next dress rehearsal. And along the way, this rehearsal, the next one, you make some mistakes and you're going to forget some lines. And you're going to miss some cues. But you keep looking forward to that day. You keep getting excited about that day. And then the next rehearsal, it's going to be even better. And you remember those lines and you, you're following those cues a little bit better. And, and you're, 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 you're dressed right and you're setting in the right position and you're living the right way. Expectation of a day will affect your behavior, everybody. And so, guess what? My life and your life is a dress rehearsal for that day. We may have missed some lines, people, in your life. That's okay. You may have missed some cues from God. That's okay. There are moments where we may have missed it, but, but you're getting better because you're thinking about that day. And every time you come, to, you face the day, it's like a dress rehearsal. We're better than the last time. We live better because we're living in the light of God's word. We're living in the light of God's perspective. And then our expectations will change and transform our behavior, and we will have victory in time. Now, what I'd like to do is I'd like to pray for you because I pray that God will help us as we live six feet apart, but not just end up six feet under. That help us, God, to live with an eternal perspective. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, wherever you are, I'm just going to ask you to engage for a moment here. This is really important for some of you. I don't know where you are in your, in your journey. Some of you may be very, very far and distant from God. And, and for some reason today, <laughs> I've got your attention. More, more importantly, maybe God has your attention. And so I want to ask you some questions. How big are your problems of earth today? How big is heaven for you today? I'm going to pray with you. And I believe something's happened inside of some of you. And you're going to have an opportunity right there online to tell somebody about it. I want to encourage you. If you want something to stick, talk to somebody about it. So first of all, after I pray with you and you receive Jesus and you invite him into your life, I want you to tell somebody. Just hit that little banner, raise your hand, say, that's me today. I'm praying to receive Jesus. And then I want to encourage you to talk to somebody. It's so important. If you want something to stick, you don't want to just kind of be in one ear and out the other. Seal it with a conversation with a person and let them pray with you a little bit further. But pray this prayer with me right now. Say this with me. Say, dear Jesus, today I receive what you did for me. 2,000 years ago. You paid the price for my sins. Lord, I was far from you, but you have broken the barrier, the wall of hostility where sin separated me from God and God from me. Lord, I thank you that because of what you did then, I can have relationship with you now so that I can be with you then in heaven forever. Today, I receive salvation. Today, I receive the payment of my sins because of what Jesus did for me. Father God, I thank you that you have not been slow in keeping your promise, but you've been patient. I'm so grateful that you've been patient with me. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.